all can be seated and go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Praise God. And we'll start reading here at verse 12. And it says here at 1 Timothy 1, verse 12, and I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me. Another word for enable is grace. Who has graced me because he has counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. That's very interesting here because it says that God didn't put Paul, the writer, into the ministry because he was faithful. He put him into the ministry, counting him as faithful. God is the ultimate God of faith, of love, of mercy. And when God does something in our life, it's because he sees the end from the beginning. Our world is taught to call things as we see it, but God sees things and calls them as they should be. And so how that applies to us today is the only reason why we're called and the only reason why we are in the particular positions, careers, callings, giftings, occupations that we have is because God has been so good to you to grace you with that gift. And he's seen the end from the beginning. So he's leading you to where he ultimately desires for you to go. Typically, as you grow and as you matriculate through your life, through your career, you begin to develop sometimes a sense of status, uh, you, you have a sense of accomplishment, there is a temptation to believe that I did that on my own, that I'm a self-made person, that I didn't have anybody to help me. No, no, when you thought nobody was helping you, it was God who was on your side, giving you the ability to do the things that you do. And so it goes on to say, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a, a persecutor, and an insolent man, and he goes on to say, but I obtained mercy. And what the mercy of God is, is you not getting what you deserve. See, the Bible tells us to not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to. It didn't say don't think of yourself highly, but we oftentimes have to have an accurate sense of self-worth and say, I am what I am because of the grace of God. And if it wasn't for his grace, I don't know where I'd be. And so Paul was reminded because he's now in a particular position where he's an overseer, where he's a leader, where he's establishing churches. And he's reminding his young pastor, Timothy, he said, Timothy, don't look at me now because you didn't see the journey or the process it took to where I got. See, sometimes we can get so distracted when we see the finished product, we don't see the process that it took to get there. So one of the fallacies that we can sometimes have is that we look at someone and judge them based off what you see, but you don't understand what it took for them to go through what they went through to get what they have. I guarantee if you had to go through the same devils that they had to go through, you would be mighty grateful for your life right now. And so our society and our culture has gotten to a place in social media where we can put whatever picture we want, whatever filter associated with it, and think that that's real life. No, real life is who you are when no one is watching. And so we cannot compare ourselves 
against other people. 2 Corinthians says, when we compare ourselves in any stretch of the imagination, we are unwise in doing so. Because as a minister, I can stand up here and tell you all a one-sided story, and you can believe I never had any struggle. You can believe I've never been through anything. You can believe I never went through anything because I'm standing up here today. But as a minister, my job is to remind you the fact that I'm standing up here is because God has been so good to me. And he's graced me and he's enabled me to be able to stand up here and to share the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. I am a testimony that God has never left me. God has never forsaken me when I was homeless, when I was without a job, when I was without a car. God, he was my father. God, he was my friend at my lowest and my darkest hour. He picked me up so I wouldn't have to be by myself. See, that's got to be your testimony. Don't, don't get caught up into all these material things. Because before you had anything, you needed someone to help you. And that someone is God. He says, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant. Hallelujah. Let me talk about grace for a second. You cannot run out of God's goodness. You cannot out his grace. You cannot change God's mood or else you would be God. God is good and he is good all the time. See, while you were yet in your sin, God gave you his very best gift. So how much more when you accept him will he freely give you all things? That's the God we serve. Goes on to say in verse 15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, it's for this reason. You know those before Christ days? See, some folk get saved and then they forget they had a past. See, you judging folk, but, but, but if I just roll back the time just for a little bit, maybe last week, but I ain't no judgment. But if I just roll back the clock just a little bit back before you knew about a church, Back before you had a Bible, back before you could quote all them little scriptures, back before you served in all these different departments and dream teams, back before you had your stuff together. If I just roll the time back there, sometimes we have to be reminded of where we come from to appreciate where we're at. And if it wasn't for God finding us, where would we be? The title of today's message is, He Found Me. He, God, found me. And this message has different facets for all of the different listeners that are here, as well as all of our online listeners. Good morning to you all that are tuning in. But this message has different facets for different stages of spiritual development that is in here. For those who have not accepted Christ, God is running to you today. In fact, the reason why you are here today, 
while you're tuned in, while you're listening to this online, it was the Lord and his goodness leading you for a divine appointment to set the course of your life for the rest of your life. To those who are already born again. See, one of the fallacies that we can sometimes believe is that when I become a Christian, that means I'm not going to go through anything. That means that life is not going to happen. And that's a fallacy. Because it rains on the just and the unjust. And the mere fact that you are a Christian means that you are a primary target of things that are unexplainable that would take place. Sometimes life just happens. And I want to encourage you today because sometimes when things happen outside of the natural realm, the visible realm, the person that typically gets the blame for bad is God. On the other hand, when it goes good, we think we did that. But sometimes when bad things happen, that's called life. But here's the good news, that no matter what you're in, God has already made you victorious in spite of it. And so when you feel like nobody wants to be around you, you feel like you should know better, you feel like you should do better, I want to let you know that God is running toward you, letting you know that he'll never leave you and he'll never forsake you. Well, why is God doing this in verse 16? It says, that in me first, Jesus Christ might show all long suffering. See, why did God save us? See, God, God didn't give us his grace just so we could go out and sin and do whatever we want to say. Oh, I'm under grace. I'm under the blood, whatever. That is not why he gave us grace. The reason why God has given us his grace and his mercy is because he wants to use you as his illustrated sermon of how patient he is. See, sometimes we can get, only reason why we'll get irritated with others is because we don't know how patient God has been with us. If you just for a moment think about yourself, because we all have blind spots. See, when you start thinking you don't have any blind spots and you're not the problem at all, that is when you've forgotten about how long it took God to get you to where you're at today. If you took the number of years of your age right now, that is a true testament of how long God has been with you and how patient God has been with you to get you where you're at. And you know deep down inside, I know you don't have to talk about it and you definitely won't post about it, but you tell yourself that you got some growing to do. And so God said that I want to be an example and I want you to be an example of my long suffering. So when people see you, they say God has been long suffering with them and it encourages them that they can come a long way as well. See, when Jesus was telling the, the religious orders to not look at the speck in the bro- their brother's eye until they get the beam out of their own eye, I often wondered if the speck in their brother's eye was just a reflection of the beam on their own eye. Because we only hate the things about others that we don't like about ourselves. And the things that we judge, according to Romans chapter 2, verse 1, about others, it goes on to say we're guilty of ourselves because to the pure, all things are pure. And so the very things that get on your nerves, the very things that you can't stand, the very things that you can't just take another minute of are the very things you need to look at within yourself and say, have I come up in that area? Because the truth be told, not one of us 
are perfect. So if I had to give a definition of long-suffering, long-suffering is simply patience mixed with kindness. Because how many know we can be patient, but we cannot be kind? Married fellas, just look straight ahead. I'm talking for you. I'm not, you know, your husband did not mean this. I'm just verbalizing this. But, hey, you know, so your wife getting ready, right? So you have a choice there to be long-suffering or not. That's patience mixed with kindness. Now, y'all know y'all had to go somewhere the whole time and the whole day. I understand it. Y'all communicated that. And so they decided to get ready 15 minutes before y'all had to leave. But you know one outfit ain't going to do the trick. Y'all, I went home one time. My house, my bedroom looked like a crime scene. Just outfits laid all through the bedroom. And so as husbands, you have a choice to be long-suffering, which is patience mixed with kindness. And the way you do that, husbands, is she had to pick up your dirty drawers. She had to wash your stuff. She had to cook for you. The reason why it took her that long is she was tired fooling around with the children, getting the house ready while you out being the man. You need to go ahead and just be long-suffering with her. So long-suffering is simply patience mixed with kindness. And God said that we are a picture of his long-suffering, of his patience toward us, of his kindness toward us, so that when others see us, they can see the goodness of God. As a leader, you are responsible for sharing with people your strengths as well as your weaknesses. Because as a leader, if you never share your weaknesses, then people will believe your level is unattainable. How many know that all of us in leadership have issues as well? That I am not standing up here as a perfect man at all. But because God is just so ever loving, so ever kind, so ever faithful, he enables us to lead others. And and so if you're in a position of leadership, you're a manager, if you're a department head, Whatever level of leadership, if you're a business owner, you know, it was one thing when you were coming up the ranks, you always used to say what you would and would not do until you got in a position and you understood why your leadership did what they did. Any leaders in here? Amen. And so it's important that as a leader, as someone who is in charge of others, that you deal with people the same way you would like God to deal with you. But the only way you will know how you would like God to deal with you is find out in his word how he already has dealt with mankind. Let's go to 2 Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter 3 in verse 8 and 9 is what I'll look at. And I want to stay right here on this leadership thing. I really feel pulled in this area right now. You see, many times in leadership, without proper training and restructuring of information, you're only going to reenact what you've been trained to do. And so your default is who you are. And so constantly in leadership, you should always be in a state of growing, always be in a state of learning. And as a leader, understand that I'm not always right. And have that attitude. Because if as a leader, your way or the highway 
then what you're going to do is you're going to silence those around you. And when you find yourself silencing those around you, you'll look up and be surrounded with people with nothing to say. And so you have to understand how God leads you. Can you imagine God? Jesus died on the cross for all of us, all of us, all of us. He died for the world. He didn't just die for the church. He died for the world. He lived a perfect life for the world. And it's in him living that perfect life that millions upon millions upon millions of people rejected him. After he lived a perfect life for them. But that did not change him. In leadership, you have to be proactive. Those following are reactive. And so if you're always reacting to what's going on, that means you're not praying as you should. See, when you spend time with God, he brings you up to a higher perspective. You don't have an opportunity to hang around millionaires and hang around people who are, are well-to-do. And one thing about just being in their presence is that they automatically, just, just who they are, it begins to change the way you think. And so God, who owns the world and the fullness thereof, when we spend time with him, we spend time aware of his presence. And it begins to transform who you are to be just like him. Because all God has to do in any type of relationship, any marriage, is just show you yourself for a minute. And you're going to bring that all the way down. Before I say anything in my marriage, now. Now. That wasn't how it started. But now, I have to think, how would God deal with me in this situation? Just feel led to sit right here. And so now in leadership, you can't think everybody's after you, especially if you hired them. <laughs> and so then you have different leaders. You have the ones that start, and you have the ones that transition. If you're a transitional leader, I've been a part of situations where I was a transitional leader and where I was the one who started from the ground up. I honestly appreciate the ground up better because that transition stuff, uh-uh, that's for the birds. That's, that's what you need. <laughs> Jesus. But when you are a person who is a transitional leader, you have to come in understanding that God is going to be the one that protects you from those who serve under you. And then those who are aspiring to be leaders, you have to understand the spirit of how you serve is transferred to those who will serve one day upon, uh, underneath you. So you're never serving where you're at. You're serving where you're going. And so you have to treat every single thing right and have an attitude about yourself that, hey, look, I'm here to do what God said, and I'm here to honor those in which God has put me in leadership, uh, those to be leadership over me. Because when it comes to leadership now, most folk just want to go straight to the top and not have anything to do with coming up through the ranks. But one thing about serving through the ranks and interning through the ranks is you begin to develop a people, a heart for the people that you will one day have to lead. But true leadership is service. So how are you serving those who are working with you? Because if we are only programmed to a dictator style leadership, then we will expect people to do things off the merit of our position. And any leadership training will tell you if people are doing what they do based off because you're the boss and that's it, you are not leading, you are dragging. But even still, those who are serving underneath leaders who you do not get along with, that still doesn't give you a right to cut up and act like you're crazy. Because I want you to know that it's God who you're serving, not the person. 
We don't do anything for man. We do everything for God. And man gets the benefit. So when I dishonor my leadership, ultimately I'm dishonoring God. Because Christ is the ultimate leader. And in Philippians chapter 2, he humbled himself to take on the form of a human being to serve us. And in Philippians it says, let that mindset also be in us. Amen. Second Peter chapter 3. So let's talk about God, the ultimate leader, and his patience toward us. In 2 Peter 3 and verse 8, it says, Beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and as a thousand years as one day. Now let me do a little parenthetical insertion here for uh, those who desire to study the Bible. This is not a metric system about God's time, okay? This is a comparative scripture that shows you that time to God, what is time? He created time. Therefore, he's always on time, so don't be moved by time. Amen? And so it says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. Many times, the only reason why we'll ever stop being patient, the only reason why we'll ever get out of what God has promised us is because we're looking at a natural thing called time and saying, God might have lied. But God is now moved by time because he sees everything. He sees the end from the beginning. And so in every situation that you're in, when you don't understand, ask for help. Ask for his wisdom of why these things have transpired. Another tidbit here. If it's always somebody else's fault, but you in all the situations, somebody lying. And so the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So God is patient with us. God is not trying to trip us up or to trick us or to put hard things on us to teach us lessons. Because if he were to do that, he would be evil. But he's a good father. One who loves all of us and he loves you. And the reason why he desires to be good to you is because that's the only way he will get you to change your mind. How many know nagging doesn't change anybody? How many know complaining doesn't change anything? Only thing that happens when you complain is you make yourself tired. Well, I got a headache. But it's when you're still good to people, even when they don't deserve it. It causes them, it promotes them to change. I remember a situation where, uh, you know, I perceived, because I won't make any accusations, a good leader does not judge. All right? I perceived that this individual was being belligerent. I, I just, anything I asked, they would do something completely in left field. I mean, not even close to what I asked. And then look at me like I got the problem. <laughs> and so <laughs> the normal way, the normal mode of response is you go in and you drill them. I will teach them the next time you are subservient unto me or insubordinate unto me, we got consequences. That's the natural. Y'all don't look at me like that. <laughs> like, how dare you? How dare you? No. <laughs> but 
I seriously just, you, you, you know where we all have that Christian that's on the inside of us, but then we got that ratchet person that's also on the inside of us. And depending on how much we pray really depends on which one. <laughs> so I didn't really pray that much that day. <laughs> and I can remember being hot and going and getting ready to let them know how I felt about what they did. And the Lord said, how long have I asked you to do X, Y, and Z? And have I ever done that to you? Well, no. <laughs> and he began to give me wisdom on how to deal with this individual. See, the only reason why you'll have situations is that people are dealing with core needs that aren't being met. Now, it's not us as in man or as leadership. It's not our job, sole job, to help people meet their core needs. That's not our job. Anytime. Any, in any position, if you expect your leader to be everything for you, you are setting yourself up for disappointment. Your leader cannot be everything for you because they can't be everything for themselves. And so when, when you realize, but when you are in leadership, you are in charge with helping people, pointing them to Christ. At the end of the day, I don't want people to know Vince. I want people to know Jesus. And so as a leader, we have a responsibility. Follow me as I follow Christ. Not follow me because I am Christ. And so with this individual, I began to love on them and understand that they were dealing with a medical situation. They were never given an opportunity in life. They were advanced in years. And so they had looked at themselves as a failure. And so now you got this young kid telling you what to do that began to trigger other things that I had nothing to do with. When you realize that you are not the problem, you will not take things personal. That's in marriage too. Even though they say you're the problem, only, only time accusations happen in marriage is when you're making an admission of what you don't like about yourself. When you say you always, no, that means you always. So when you can take a moment and realize, I'm, I'm not the problem here, you can then minister to them and look through what you're dealing with. The Bible encourages not to render railing for railing, not to do things for eye service or so someone can see you. Because the only thing about playing politics, you only be popular for a couple terms, but when you do kingdom, you're popular for eternity. I, I, I no, I'm sorry, I just, I just don't have a politicking bone in me. But I have an honor bone, amen? And it's all about honor. And you honor the people that God has placed over you because they're sent to develop you. There have been times in ministry, let me be honest, can, I, can, I, can, we, can we just, be, just talk? Amen. There, there are times in ministry, I remember starting off, and when you start off in ministry, you think that the next day you are going to have a speaking schedule that is to die for. <laughs> like everybody wants to hear me. No, no. <laughs> and coming up, when you're coming out of school initially, you think you know it all because you've been in class. 
No, you've got theory. That person on the job has wisdom. So I came out, and, and, and I needed some attitude adjusting. And I'm, I'm thankful for the track the Lord took me through in my ministerial journey. It was five years in ministry before I ever did anything that dealt face-to-face -face with people. And it was through that process that a humbling had to take place. There were lessons that I needed to learn that were not public. Because when you're in the public eye and when you're in a, in a visible place, in a visible position, the moment that you fall, it affects more than just you. But behind the scenes, and, and you might be frustrated that you're not going up as, as high and as fast and as quick as you thought you would. But you're right now in a process of refining, getting that character right. Because the last thing God needs is another casualty in the kingdom of God. The last thing that he needs is someone to be known and to then lead thousands of people the wrong way. And I can remember being in places as a new Bible school grad where I would say, I wouldn't have did that. I wouldn't have did this. I wouldn't have did that. I wouldn't have did this. I wouldn't have did that. I Until I got in leadership and said, I understand why they did all that. <laughs> I call it ministerial adolescence. You know, the teenage years where you think you old, but you're really young, and you think you're smart, but you're really not. You know, I remember being a teenager, thinking my mom ain't know what she was talking about. Until I turned 18 and said, that is the smartest woman in the world. <laughs> Teenagers, get this. Your parents used to be you. <laughs> in fact, in fact, you got their genetics. <laughs> so you ain't slick. <laughs> they did the same thing. But instead of yours, you have an unlimited data. They had to wait till after nine to call. That's the only difference. <laughs> Some of them had to do star six, seven, so it could be private, so the parents wouldn't know. Hello? Uh. That's the only difference. But parents, you got to understand, those are your genetics. So everything you say about them, you're prophesying over their life. So you have to be as God is toward you. As long-suffering as he's been with you. Because they haven't been here as long as you've been here. And I know that frustrates you because I know what I put in them. But God knows what he put in you. This, this was not the message today. <laughs> I sure wanted to preach. I came ready to preach today. But amen. This, this is for the congregation. Amen. And so we have to be willing to work with individuals. And we have to be willing to take our time and be patient. Because we're not after people to crush them. We're after people to build them up. The same way God is with us. God is, you know, this, this mindset that's out here that, that God is hovering above America waiting to judge it. Let me tell y'all something. If he wanted to just destroy America, he would have been done did it. 
for the English major, he would have already done it. <laughs> but God is so long-suffering. With the advancement of social media, with the advancement of technology, the primary purpose is to advance the gospel. With your advancement in life, his primary purpose is to advance the gospel. That's why you have those dreams and those aspirations, those goals. Anytime they're about you and, and, and what you can get and how you can get from it and how it can be set up to serve you, those are ulterior motives. And that's what will hit pause on your progression. But when life is lived beyond just me, that is when we have become and started to live life. So the overall arching statement here is God has been long-suffering with all of us. And we can never get to a point where we forget about his patience and his kindness every single day. God has been taught many times as ruler, as master, as judge. But very seldom is he taught as father. And I believe that that is a tactic by the enemy, especially in our African-American churches. The majority of our African-American churches are run by single-parent households. And within the larger conglomerate of the single-parent households are single-mother households who are doing everything they can to make ends meet. I was raised in a single parent household. So that means it can be done with a lot of prayer. <laughs> but I was raised in a single parent household uh, with a mother who served in her local church. With a mother who gave freely of her time, her talent to her local church, but never at the expense of her children. The reason why we love church is because the mother I saw at church was the same mother I saw at home. Amen. See, if you, if you, you sister Holy Ghost at church and you mother devil when you get in the car, you're, you're presenting that God is bipolar. It's got to be consistent and you got to be honest too. You know what, babe? I'm coming up in this area myself. Because our picture of our natural parents is the first picture of our Heavenly Father. And if we didn't have a great relationship with Dad, if any, then when we start saying serve God, in our mind we're saying he's not around just like the guy they said was my other father. And so we develop trust issues with him because it's reminding me of what I didn't have naturally. But whether or not your parents were good or whether or not they were bad, God is even greater still. And many times we have this wall up with God all based off of things in our own imagination. Not real. And so under this new covenant, it's our responsibility to look at God as our father. And not just a father, you're going to be tough, you're going to be tough. Get up, get up, get up, get up. Hey, is that blood? You lie? Well, keep moving. No, that's, that's not God. God is a loving father. So to the men that are in here, see, one of our biggest needs is affirmation. Hugest needs. Hugest needs. 
women hugest needs. Women hugest needs. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but what happened was affirmation was attributed to provision, and those are two separate things. And when dad always provided, but he never said, I love you, and I'm proud of you, and I believe in you, it doesn't grow up the man that's within. And so men grow up naturally, but internally, we're still adolescents emotionally. And so unless we get, as men, a picture of who God is and, and, and block out what we did or did not have in our natural life and say, I want to see and I want to know God for myself. And I want to see how he reacted in certain scenarios. If you all remember the story of the prodigal son, I was going to go there before the message changed, but I'm in there. <laughs> but the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32, and I'll close with this statement, or a few statements. The story of the prodigal son was something that was known throughout that time as a familiar or a popular story. But the original ending of that story was the prodigal son leaving, spending all of his inheritance, never coming back and enduring a life of pain and suffering and shame and guilt to his family. And so Jesus picked up on the end of that story and changed it. And, and so in our Bibles, they actually have it wrong in Luke 15. Even though the story used to be about the prodigal son, that story is actually more about the compassionate father. And so the custom of that day is that when a son leaves his house after receiving his inheritance, if he spent all of his inheritance and got down to nothing, the custom of that town and that community was to bring that son back into the village and shame him and tell him that he's not welcome. So his father rejects him and his community rejects him because the community follows the father. That translate to churches today. The way we believe God treats us is how we'll treat people. And if we don't have a picture of who God is for ourselves, we will be kicking people out. We will be rejecting people. We will telling people they're not good enough when God is not like that. Only problem is that in the church village, we have two fathers running around, the father of love and the father of lies. And depending on how you treat, lets people know who you're really following. But the father of love what he does in that story is that he saw his son afar off. All the son did was just point himself in the direction of his dad. But his dad was looking for him every single day, every single moment. There was no sign, there was no reason that his son would come home. But he still went to the top of the hill and said, if I could just see my son again, I will be happy. And one day when his son turned and looked to his father, because in his mind, what brought him back was the goodness and the kindness of his dad. He said, even though I'm not worthy, even though I'm not good enough in what I've done, at least my father would treat me like a servant, which is better than what the world is treating me. And what the father had to show him is that sonship is greater than being a servant. And the way that he changed him was not only being good as his character, but reminding him to focus on the son and not focus on his sin. 
See, the father wanted to remind him that I love you and what you're trying to work for, you are already born into. So if there's any man in here today and you feel like you're not good enough, you feel like nothing is working, you feel like nothing is right, you were born into the family of God and he's placed an inheritance on the inside of you. And the moment you point to him and you tell him how much you need him, how much you want him to be with you, he is running to you. And so the father... He runs toward his son, and as he's running toward his son, he goes and he falls on him, and he kisses his neck. And so he met him before he got to the village. Because the son got to the village before the father did, then it would give the community the opportunity to shame him. But what the father wanted to let the son know, before you face anybody, you have me. And instead of shame and guilt falling on you, my acceptance is falling on you. And he picks his son back up, and, he's, and the son says, if you could just make me a servant, I'll work for it. I'll do this. I'll do that. I'll do this. I'll do that. He says, you don't have to work for what you're already born into. And he restores them. So God has been long-suffering with us. God has been patient with us. And I don't care if you feel like you're down on your luck. I don't care if you feel like nothing is going right. If you could just point yourself in the direction of the Father, he will, you will see him running towards you with his goodness. He will surround you with his love and pick you up as if you never had a time where you were ever down. Hallelujah. So if you're in here today and you feel down, discouraged, like you weren't good enough, that was Satan. He's a liar. Distracting you because God has already made you good enough. And I want to pray with you today. So with everyone in the attitude of prayer, 